What does it look like when disaster strikes? Or maybe you're facing a large-scale emergency that requires your entire fully funded emergency fund. There are some things that you can do and things you need to keep in mind if you or a loved one is ever in this situation. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Rachel Cruz Show podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the most common money questions I get asked. Then I'll go over how to survive a financial emergency. Then I'm going to talk about one of my new favorite hobbies or Winston's favorite hobbies that can actually save you a lot of money. You don't want to miss it. But first, let's talk about the top five money questions that I get asked. Today, I'm going to answer the top five money questions that I get asked. So I host The Ramsey Show, and I get to talk to callers every single week about their questions. And even on social media, I get a ton of DMs. And listen, this is my favorite part of my job. I get to talk to people one-on-one and encourage them in their money journey. And also, some of the calls can be very uh, entertaining. Some of the social questions I get can be very entertaining, too. But what's crazy is I get a lot of the same questions a lot, all the time. So now, to me, our advice seems like common sense, but I know it's definitely not common sense to the world. So today I'm going to talk through the top five things that I want people to know when it comes to very common money questions I get. All right, the first question I get a lot is, how do I get my spouse on board? This is a tough one. I'm going to be honest, because you are inviting another person, right? If I'm just talking to you and helping you control you and you get to make decisions for you, that's one thing. But when you're trying to get someone else on board, it can be really tough. So what I would tell people is, number one, tell them your why. So if you're just like, oh my gosh, I want to never go on vacation or go out to eat and we need to take all of our money and we need to put it at the credit cards and blah, blah, blah. Your spouse may be like, you're insane. Like, what are you talking about? So Go a little bit deeper and talk about why do you want to do this? Why do you want to get out of debt? Why do you want to save for retirement? What what is your why? Is it, could just be fear of like, oh my gosh, if one of us loses our job, we don't have enough money to cover next month's bills because there's no margin. Maybe it's fear, which is not a great motivator long-term, but short-term, it'll get you going. Uh, Maybe it's that you don't want to live how you grew up. I talk to a lot of people like, I want to give my kids a different life than I had. Like, whatever it is, express your why, and your why shows more of your heart than the tactical side of money, and that's where you and your spouse can really connect. Number two, show them the actual numbers. I find this is really helpful for husbands to see, ladies out there. When you're like, hey, I want to get out of debt, they're going to be like, that's awesome, but I don't really want to sacrifice or do this. But when you like lay out the numbers and you say, okay, we make this, we can cut this out of the budget. If we sell this, like you actually put a time frame down on paper, they can actually visually see it because it's like, okay, it's going to take this amount of time. Here's the calendar. Could we do this? Like it actually gives some tactical reasoning behind your why. Now, if those don't work and you guys keep going around and around and around and around, I would honestly get a third party involved. So this could be maybe the Ramsey show. Be like, hey, you want to listen to this podcast or read this book? Us at Ramsey could be the bad guys for a little bit. Uh, Or I'll be honest too, I would get a therapist involved. If it's something that's really stressing you out and you guys are on complete opposite pages, it's going to be really hard to have a very fruitful marriage if you're running on two separate tracks when it comes to money. Because when you are married, you are one. You are sharing a life with someone and money is a big part of that. All right, the second question I get asked a lot is, should I pause investing to pay off debts? 
And yes, we do recommend this, which I know a lot of people freak out and they're like, oh my gosh, Rachel, but I'm at the match. I'm going to miss the match. It's free money and all this. But when you're getting out of debt, staying as focused as possible, putting as much money as you can, taking everything that is possible to throw it out of the debt, to get out of debt as quickly as possible is going to free up your income. So this is really big. And again, it's pausing it because you'll press play and invest 15% of your income into retirement after it's done. But getting debt out of your life and getting your income back to be all yours is huge. All right, the third question that I get asked a lot is, how much house can I afford? The housing conversation, you guys. It's so difficult because it's so frustrating. I get it. Like when you're buying a house today, interest rates, inventory, all of it. It's not awesome. But here's the deal. When you can buy a house that is best for your budget, that is when you need to buy a house, regardless of what is going on in the market, when it is best for you. So... I want you out of debt with a fully funded emergency fund of three to six months of expenses. Okay, I want that done first. And then I want you to save up for a down payment. If you're a first-time home buyer, 5% is great. If you're not, I would bump it up to like 10, 15%. If you can hit 20% down payment, you can avoid a lot of fees and penalties like PMI, and it's great. But that's the range of down payment I want saved. And then when you buy the home, make sure you're on a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage and your payment is no more than 25% of your take-home pay. So that whole formula together sets you up to buy a house. Now, I always tell people, I understand that's a very conservative way to go about it. But listen, I've talked to so many people via social media, via at events, via on The Ramsey Show that have so much house, you guys, and they are stressed out. We talk numbers and their budget real quick. So much of their mortgage is eating up their house and they don't have an emergency fund. They have student loans still in credit card debt and they just feel so strapped. So when they thought this house was gonna be a blessing and an answer to their family's dreams, it ends up being a curse and a burden and it's stressful and it's not what they wanted it to be. So I want you to be at a place financially to go into a house to enjoy it and it not be a stress point for you. All right, the fourth common question I get is, am I an exception to the baby steps? And we get this a lot of different ways. Oh, Rachel, in, in my family, this, 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 or in my job, this, this, or this, or whatever it is. Listen, you guys, the baby steps are the baby steps for a reason. I'm gonna encourage you, do them in order because they're in order for a reason. We're not trying to like trick you into something weird. Like this is the most efficient way to get from point A to point B, which is stressed, broke, not know what you're doing with money, to wealthy, in control, peaceful, know where you're going with your future. Like the quickest way to do that tactically is the baby step. So do them in order, and I'm telling you, it works. Because here's the deal. Spend a few years of your life working these steps, and then maybe if you get to, you know, four, five, and six, or even seven, and you hate it, and you hate your life, you can always choose to go back deep in debt with no savings and all the things. I don't think you will do that, but... I'm telling you, work the steps in order. It's the most efficient way to, again, go from not feeling in control and stressed and not budgeting and all the things to feeling a level of control. So if you're not familiar with the baby steps, I will leave a link down below. So click on it and and read about it, understand it. Because quickly, the seven baby steps is a $1,000 emergency fund. Number two is to get out of debt. Number three is to get a fully funded emergency fund of three to six months of expenses. And then you're going to do four, five, and six together. Number four is funding 15% of your income into retirement. Baby step five is funding kids' college. Baby step six is paying the house off early. Then once all that's done, or at least, you know, the house is paid off, kids' college fund is good, then you move on to baby step seven, and that is just to build wealth and be extremely generous. So those are the seven baby steps. 
right, the fifth question I get asked the most is how do I budget with an irregular income? Now, this is a tough one, and I get it. I'm on commission, my husband's on commission, so knowing what we're going to make every month, it's going to vary. So you have to kind of guesstimate before the month begins. Okay, here's what I think we're going to make, and you put that number at the top, and then you're going to list out all of your expenses, but you're going to prioritize a few things. Your giving is big, saving, especially if you're on baby steps one or three, that's going to be really big. And then your four walls, which is food, shelter, utilities, and transportation. Those are going to be prioritized. Then everything else below you're going to just prioritize. And then as the money comes in and when you understand, okay, here's what we're going to make on the 15th or the 31st or the 1st or however you get paid, then from there you can kind of figure out, okay, do will there be some budget items that we're not going to do this month because we don't have the income for it? Is there some that maybe we can actually bump up and enjoy some because it's a bigger month? Whatever it is, you kind of have to fluctuate. But I get it. It takes a lot of intentionality and work, but it is worth it. And I would also say if you are in a seasonal job that you know it's going to be really busy one season and not as much the other, we call those hills and valleys. So like if summer is like insane for you and you make a ton of money in the summer, then take some of that money and not don't spend it all. Put it in a savings because when it gets to be November, December and you need some money because you're not making as much, you can pull from that account. So we call those hills and valleys. So if that is a rhythm for you, be aware of that. Hey guys, it's Rachel Cruz here to tell you about a faith-based alternative to health insurance that can make healthcare more affordable, Christian Healthcare Ministries. CHM allows members to share each other's healthcare costs, and it's as easy as one, two, three. Step one, choose the healthcare provider you want. Step two, submit your eligible bills. And step three, get reimbursed. CHM members, take care of your eligible medical bills. With no networks and the freedom to choose your healthcare provider, CHM is the best option for Christians who want to take care of their families and help other believers. Find out more at chministries.org slash budget. Today, we're going to talk about whether or not a home garden will really save you money. So last year, my friend Heather Whitaker came on this show to talk about all things gardening. And she really talked about how she grew this passion because she wanted to grow her own food, you know, whether it was organic. She started with a salsa garden, I remember her saying, and all of this. But she really wanted to feed her family really healthy foods, but it was really hard to buy all organic food at the grocery store because there wasn't a ton of room in the budget, which is so relatable. And I hear this from a lot of people that really great fresh food is just expensive. And Heather and her husband, Carlos, again, they grow a ton of their own fruits and vegetables. They even have some chickens and they live in the suburbs, you guys. So like they can do this. And that means you can do this. And they don't have this like massive, you know, farm They live on about a quarter of an acre and they do so much gardening off of that. So it's just encouragement that wherever you are, you can be doing this. So if you've had some curiosity about it and thinking, oh my gosh, would this even be possible for my family? Make sure to check out that video because she gives great advice. And in fact, I took some of her advice when we started gardening at our house. Yep, so last summer was the first time we really got into it. When I say we, 80%, 90%, 95% of this is Winston. <laughs> I'm the encourager and the admirer and the eater of the garden. 
But this was kind of like Winston's thing. Like he was like, no, I really, I really want to do this. So I'm going to share a couple of the things that we grow in the garden that we love that actually has saved us a lot of money, which is very nice. And I'll even give you a few tips based on things that I have learned in the process. So first, let's talk about savings. Did we save money? The short answer is yes. It definitely saved us money on our grocery bill and saves us money as you know, the weather gets better and we get deeper into summer, we get more and more of our vegetables and our herbs and everything. So when it comes to food that we typically would go to waste because we would like use some of it, but then not all of it. And again, money just went to waste when I was buying stuff from the store. For example, in our garden, when we were growing tomatoes, this was really big. Tomatoes would always go bad in our house. I feel like we never used all of them when I was, you know, when I bought them at the store or we switched and we're like, oh, we're not doing that recipe. For some reason, it just was like tomatoes were the thing that we used a lot. We wasted the most of and it's the thing I changed my mind on a lot. So cost-wise, buying a week's worth of tomatoes is about the same price of buying a pack of seeds to grow them. So we from $2 to $5. So when you hit about that second week of using your fresh tomatoes from your garden, you've already ROI'd. So we were very early in our process, you guys. So I went last night and picked some stuff from our garden. So we have uh, three of these plants. So they're just starting to come. Again, not ripe yet. But we have three other big plants of these, and these grow a ton, these plants. But I use these a lot. I use these on salads. I use this for Greek night. I use cherry tomatoes a lot when I cook. Uh, you can even do like fresh sauce if you blend them up, put them in the oven, you know, let them roast, all of it. So anyways, I love cherry tomatoes. They're one of my favorites. And it's nice because I would buy a little pack at the grocery store. Yeah. And they're like five, six bucks. And these, it's just, they're everywhere. And it's awesome. So there are some unexpected crowd favorites that we have. Jalapenos, which I love. They're not ready yet. I went last night. So give me another month and I'll have some jalapenos for you. Uh, another one, Winston loves it, and the girls love to pick it, radishes. So we have a ton of these at the very front of our garden. And these are so easy to pick, and my girls like think it's awesome. But I will slice these up again, put on salads, um, but we love radishes. Also, we did carrots, which is great. Winston wants to do some beets. My brother's doing beets in his garden, so they're awesome. So again, it's kind of almost like the ones that you're like, okay, the root, even root vegetables— to jalapenos, to bell peppers, all of that we have in our garden and we use a lot of. So having, again, access to more veggies in our backyard really makes us use them. So another thing is squash and zucchini. So here's like a little zucchini. It'll get bigger. Um, but I sometimes stop buying these because I was like, oh, am I going to use them? But they're in the garden, so I will cook with them now. Or squash. Don't laugh at my squash. <laughs> it's not ready yet. But this little guy, yeah. But we have about four big squash plants. Now, ones that didn't work were our cucumbers. We did those last year, you guys, and they ended up being whack. They had like spikes on them. It was really weird. I don't know. So I'm still buying English cucumbers from the store. <laughs> but I love cucumbers, and for some reason, it didn't work. Another helpful thing that we grew that we used a lot was romaine lettuce. So I use these a lot, whether it's for burgers or taco salads or salads or put— on top of stuff, we use romaine all the time, Caesar salads. And again, I would buy, you know, hearts, romaine hearts at the grocery store. Sometimes use them. Sometimes, again, you change your mind on what you're going to cook and you, they go bad. They go brown in like three or four days. So I had to throw them away. It was so frustrating. But the lettuce was so great. And I'm so sad. It's out of season now. They're, it's done. We did butter lettuce as well. It was awesome. But now they're gone. So rest in peace. 
all, uh, all lettuce, but it was good. So again, at the store, the seeds to grow romaine cost about the same as it would a bag or two of lettuce. So growing these greens in your garden will not only minimize waste and fridge space, but it also in the long run will save you a few bucks every time you go to the store. All right, the fourth thing that has saved us a lot of money, and this is a lot, you guys, is the herbs, okay? Are you ready for this? So we have parsley, we have oregano, we have rosemary, we have basil, we have, it's so sad, our little cilantro, but there was more. I don't know where it went. Uh, I did dill too. I love dill. And then I asked Amelia to pick me some mint. So she brought me one little leaf. So this was from last night. But mint. So again, so many herbs. And I do love fresh herbs when I'm cooking. And there was a time, you guys, I would buy the little plastic thing that would have like eight basil leaves in it. And it's like $4 or like whatever the thing is. It was always so frustrating because, again, you don't have to always use the whole pack. But you wanted them fresh, all the stuff. So it just can cost so much money. And Herb plants are so easy, you guys. They're so easy and they save you money. And let's be honest, you just feel better about yourself when you go to your garden and you pick out some herbs and you chop those up and you sprinkle them in and you say, there's fresh basil in that pasta. Fresh basil. It just does something to the wholesome of your heart, I'm telling you. So again, whether it's, you know, buying herbs at the grocery store fresh, even buying seasoning, you got, I mean, stuff can get just so expensive. So fresh herbs will save you money. And finally, my fifth favorite thing to grow in our garden has been our hibiscus. Okay, so this is a potted plant, but they have these all over like the Caribbean or Mexico, and they're just the most beautiful plants. And they're really tough because they don't last long. So they will like end up closing up, but then there's like so many other blooms. And so you have to take it in in the winter. So we didn't plant it in the garden, but we have some some plants around. And I just love hibiscus. I think they're just so beautiful. And then Winston, when he dug up all of our lettuce— There was like almost half of our box garden that was empty. So he went and did some flowers throughout it. All these kinds. I Don't ask me, I'm not a flower expert. But I love it too because how great is it having fresh flowers in your house? Cut those things up, put them in vases, like in your kitchen, in your bedroom. I mean, it's dreamy. And so you can start this again with seeds or just get some plants, you know, from Home Depot and then plant them in and you get more. It's just so fun, you guys. The whole thing is so fun. So yes, there is an investment in the front end because especially if you want a raised garden, you got to buy, you know, the supplies and stuff to do it. So yes, there's an investment, but you're going to use it for years and years and years and years and years. So it's been so fun. And uh, again, there's some takeaways from gardening that I want to tell you about. So again, I was surprised how quickly we were able to get started because it can be very intimidating. When you start something new, you're like, oh my gosh, like people do that. And I don't know if I can. But I'll tell you, you have what it takes to do this if you want, to take some patience. And depending on your gardening goals, it can be more of a marathon than a sprint. But Winston was able to do everything, even build the the beds. I mean, I think he did it over a weekend. And then you spend a couple of afternoons, you know, finding what you want to plant and all of it. And again, it, it really was it didn't take that much time. Now, we, you have to water it and take care of it for sure. But my point is, you can easily tackle this one in a weekend like he did. Also, keep in mind to start small, okay? If your budget is tight at the moment, you don't want to spend a ton of extra money throwing into a new hobby uh, and creating, you know, this like whole thing where you're like, oh my gosh, am I doing this right? So create a sinking fund, maybe put some money away for next year and be like, yeah, we want to start a garden. So again, there's a little bit of investment up front, but start small. Even just getting a basil plant 
in front of your kitchen window, right? Just incorporating something small like that into your routine can help you when it comes to something bigger. Okay, speaking of, another thing I've been reminded of throughout this process is how important it is to try new things. Again, it's easy to look at other people's skills or hobbies and think, well, I'm just not cut out for that or I wouldn't be successful to do that. Listen, that's not true. Even growing our own food, it's been really practical, it's been budget-friendly, and it's been really fun and rewarding. So don't get me wrong, some things have been easier to get the hang of than others in life, right? So cilantro, tough one. And I'll be honest, the green onions, I didn't even show you all these, my scallions, they actually ended up okay. I mean, they're, they're just, they're little guys, not terrible. But at first I was like, what is happening to y'all? So this, this took some love, but it happened, so... Thank you. Thank you, Scallions. Thank you. So I've learned a lot. Winston has, uh, again, been the hero of this story, but it's been a really fun thing for our family. All right. My last piece of advice would be to pace yourself, okay? After a quick win or two, you might be tempted just to go and buy seeds to everything and grow everything. But remember, you're still human, and there may be a night you're like, I just want to order pizza. So do that, okay? So don't plant more than you and your family realistically can eat. That was us last year. We planted way too much stuff. So be realistic about it. And again, if you go a little overboard, it's fine. But you'll learn and figure out, okay, what is best for our family? And it's so fun. And again, if you haven't seen my video with Heather, because she's a major expert on this, I will put a link in the description below. And gardening, again, it's a fun new thing that our family's doing, and it's able to save you a good, you know, 20, 30 bucks at the store, which is awesome. And I think it's the gift that just keeps on giving. Today, we're talking about how to survive a financial emergency. And I know this is something that we don't want to think about, but let's be real. This is real life, and it's something that we have to prepare for. So at Ramsey, we talk about a starter emergency fund of $1,000 is what you need to really dive into baby step two, which is paying off all of your debt. Then once your debt is gone, then you can bump up that $1,000 emergency fund to a fully funded emergency fund of three to six months of expenses. So... Again, these two phases of your emergency fund, your $1,000 and your three to six month fully funded emergency fund is to provide protection for you from emergencies. But today I'm gonna to talk about what does it look like when disaster strikes and your emergency fund doesn't cover all of your expenses. So whether you're on baby step two and you just have $1,000 saved, or maybe you're facing a large scale emergency that requires your entire three to six months of expenses of your fully funded emergency fund. So there are some things that you can do and things you need to keep in mind if you or a loved one is ever in this situation. So first, let's make sure that we are on the same page about what an emergency is. A true emergency is unexpected, necessary, and urgent. So getting into a wreck on the interstate, maybe injuring yourself while cooking, or maybe getting laid off from your job, all of these are considered emergencies. And large expenses that you can anticipate, like needing new tires, taking an annual vacation, paying for kids' braces, all of that, that is not an emergency. And again, this is why budgeting is so, so important. So when you can anticipate some of life's regular expenses, again, big or small, with your budget, you don't have to panic about fluctuating costs month to month. And like my dad always says, a crisis becomes an inconvenience when you have an emergency fund. So building that margin creates such relief when really hard things happen. 
But even though it's rare, some circumstances come into your life that is just too much for even your emergency fund to handle. So here are five steps that you can take when an emergency is bigger than your emergency fund. The first step is to only pay minimum payments only on all of your debt. So when an emergency happens, you wanna focus on your four walls, which is food, shelter, utilities, and transportation temporarily. That's it. And for the time being, you need to maintain your existing debts, making sure that it doesn't grow any larger and keep the new expenses as small as possible. So there's more on how to do this coming up next. But after you get your bearings, then you can channel your momentum back to the debt snowball. So again, paying just your four walls and minimum payments on your debt so that you don't have to pay more interest. Paying those minimum payments is really important. And then above that, to be able to say, okay, I need this extra cash for the emergency. So remember, nothing is permanent and certain seasons call for this type of thing and that's it. So it's season by season, situation by situation. All right, the second step is to negotiate the cost of your emergency. So for some of you, this one may feel a little out of your comfort zone, but making a couple of phone calls and asking some questions can actually save you money. So if a family member lands in the hospital, call the billing department and ask about discounts and financial aid. Ask if there is a payment plan option and see if that maybe feels more manageable to work into your budget. Be kind with this person that's on the phone. Be upfront with them and be honest with the fact that you're serious about paying your bill. And if you do all of that, sometimes they will work with you. Or let's say you're dealing with the effects of a widespread emergency like a natural disaster or a massive layoff crisis. Then you can call around to local nonprofits and charities and some organizations may be offering things like free childcare or food or home repairs. So when in doubt, look for helpers. There are always more resources than you think that there are out there. So just look around and ask questions. All right, the third step is to shop around if you can. So let's say you have some mandatory car repairs. Well, ask friends if they have a mechanic that they recommend, call around to local shops and ask to schedule an estimate and make sure you don't allow them to do any work until they give you an exact price on what you can expect to pay. But if it's out of reach, then ask them what is the bare minimum to get you just back on the road. Or maybe you need to replace a large appliance like a washer or dryer. So first shop online and see if there's one on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist that's really cheap. Maybe it's even used, but you buy it, you use it until your emergency is over with. Then you can replace that again with a nicer washer or dryer later on down the road. But if you need one now, maybe a cheap used one is the best way to go about it. All right, the fourth step is to make extra money fast. So start looking around and find things around your house that you can sell. So I know this one might hurt a little bit, but getting some extra cash might be really helpful. So this could be furniture, TVs, designer accessories, jewelry, bikes, workout equipment, like anything that you can find, sell it. Clean it up, snap a picture of it, put it online and see if you can get some money. Also, budget cuts are a really great option too. So any streaming services, memberships you have, eating out, any of that cut what you can out of your budget till the storm passes and you get back on solid ground. And then finally, lean into those side hustles. So drive for Uber, you know, for a month, pick up a dog sitting gig, 
wait tables on the weekends, do what you can to throw extra money at this crisis. And I guarantee if you try one or all of these ideas, you'll be surprised how much extra cash you could bring in in just the next month. All right, the fifth step is to build back your emergency fund once you've paid your bill. So finally, it's time that you see the light at the end of the tunnel, the dust has settled. When you start to move forward, you first want to build back up your emergency fund. So again, if it was that $1,000 that you used for your emergency before you go back to aggressively paying off your debt, make sure to build that back up or even your three to six months of emergency fund. If you're able to invest and build that back up, that's great, but you may even wanna pause investing if you've already moved on to baby steps four, five, and six to build that emergency back up. Having cushion in your life when it comes to money is so key. And again, if something happens again, something unexpected, you have the money in place. All right, you guys, I hope this video was really helpful. And remember, life is going to happen, but you can learn to pivot and troubleshoot when difficult situations come upon you. And if you're someone who is new to the idea of an emergency fund, make sure to check out Financial Peace University. This is our nine lesson class that teaches you all about the seven baby steps and gets you on the path to being prepared and control and building wealth. So visit ramseysolutions.com to check that out. So you guys, financial emergencies are going to happen. So make sure you have an emergency fund in place and do the things you need to do to get through it. All right, you guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you have not shared this podcast with a friend, make sure to do that. Just hit that little button and spread the good news. And also leave a review if you haven't. It is really, really helpful to us. Thanks again, you guys. And remember to take control of your money and create a life you love.